This episode is brought to you by Hostfully. Using Hostfully, you can create a free digital guidebook for your listing so that you can save time creating a professional experience for every guest that comes and visits your spot. Learn more at hostfully.com. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Welcome to episode 286 of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today's guest, his name is Scott Glass. He's from Canada originally, and he is a true Airbnb short rental entrepreneur. He runs 65 units some of which he owns, some of which he master leases, and I think some of which he manages as well. Uh, he's been an entrepreneur pretty much all his life. I think he told me he didn't even finish high school. He went straight into the entrepreneurship, and he has been doing some incredible stuff. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jasper. How's it going there? And you're in the Dominican Republic and I just came from there. Scott was so uh, generous to invite me and stay at his place for uh, for a couple of days after the Short Term Legends Live in Puerto Rico, which uh, short Scott actually also attended. Yes, phenomenal event. Yeah, dude, thanks for hosting me in the Dominican Republic, man. I'm really impressed with the business that you've built. And uh, I think the topic for today will be mainly how you've managed to acquire a lot of the properties that you own because you're using a very unconventional strategy, a very out-of-the-box thinking strategy. I think that's really incredible. So we're going to talk all about that, but could you first introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. As you mentioned, somewhat of a, a serial entrepreneur. I've uh, been active in the short-term rental space for a little over eight years now, almost nine, and really full-time for the last five. You know, I, I most commonly describe myself as a real estate investor and an operator in the short-term rental space, but I do a number of other things, involved in other uh, projects and ventures, but this is truly my, my core focus. Yeah, so I, I started very slowly with one or two listings, and then, as you mentioned, uh, 65 now, and and growing and you know the rate of our growth continues to to accelerate so yeah it's an exciting time to be in the short-term rental space so where are your units located so currently we work in three different countries so canada of course where i'm originally from we do a lot of investing in the united states and as well as the dominican republic where we uh i bought a boutique hotel or a property last year that we converted into a, a boutique hotel and then we also have some larger beach uh, community units and some, uh, some luxury unit as well. So you're saying that you've always kind of been in real estate. So what made you venture into short-term rentals? Well, I guess I, I was always interested in real estate, right? And, and from a traditional investing standpoint, you buy what you can as quickly as you can, you know, and, and if you have some appreciation, you can refinance. But typically, and for most people, that's, you know, one unit every few years or their primary home and every five or 10 years, an investment unit. But I use some, as you mentioned, unconventional investment strategy to allow me to, to acquire a lot faster, a lot quicker. And that was more done out of necessity you know, I wanted to expand and I got creative in, in how I went about doing that and put a lot of interesting deals together. 
And then after a short period of time or a few years of doing that, started meeting other investors who use similar strategies and found out that, you know, traditional real estate investing as we know it, which is, you know, go to the bank, get a mortgage, save up a down payment and go buy an asset. Although, you know, 95% of real estate transactions happen that way, there are many other ways, uh, although uncommon, that you could uh, acquire real estate. And when you marry up some of those strategies with the above average cash flow and yields that, that we see in the short term space, it becomes a you know extremely powerful equation, as I think I explained to you over the last week, where I'm able to buy you know as much property as I want. Pretty much, I don't think I've ever done it. Looked for an opportunity much more than a few days before I've been able to find one. So yeah, there's there's just a ton of opportunity. So tell us a little bit more about those deals that you're talking about. More of the specifics. Well. The industry term, at least used in the U.S., is typically land contract, although there's different uh, ways of calling it. Some call it seller financing, owner financing. Essentially, what I do is I buy and have bought everything private. In the United States, I deal directly with the homeowners. And in many cases, and, and, and more often than not, it's an investor that I'm dealing with. And I'll explain why. But also in, in the Dominican Republic, I bought the building off an investor from Italy, I bought one of my condos off an investor from Spain um, in the United States. As I, as I mentioned, it's, it's mostly investors and, and also very commonly out-of-state investors. And the reason this is sort of the trend and, and where I look is because I'm looking for investors who don't live in the same market as the assets that they own, that are looking to sell their assets and perhaps have been on the market for a while, or in some cases not, but I'm looking for what, what's called a motivated seller. Uh, and typically, I'm looking for somebody who doesn't necessarily need to sell, but really wants to sell. You know, in some cases, I'm looking for someone who needs to sell. That's a good situation um, because we, you know, we can get creative with our terms if I can help them solve uh, their their immediate need to sell. But when you find people that are out of state or, or even better out of country, oftentimes they're not paying attention to the asset, especially if it's vacant. It's costing them money. And uh, it's a bit of a burden. So again, that, that's a great situation where understanding their situation helps me creatively put something together that solves their problem and, and at the same time gets me what I want, which is control and ownership of that asset. So how do you find those properties? Like how do you know where the owner's from and if he's, if he's around and if he's really eager to sell or not? So th there's a few different ways. And I work in many different markets. Uh, which itself is a little bit unique. Part of that started from the early days in this space, not knowing where regulation was going to go. So I chose, you know, a handful of markets. I'm in four U.S. states and eight different cities. And I went ahead and, and I started doing basic research, in some cases as basic as, you know, Craigslist. Craigslist, although many people think is, you know, a low-quality source of information, you'd be surprised what ends up on Craigslist. And at the same time, sometimes it's a last resort for people. Maybe they're getting no response to their traditional methods, or maybe it's they've had a property listed with a realtor and they haven't had any traction or interest, or for whatever reason, the property just is not sold. And the owner will you know, run it, put an ad up on Craigslist or, or a site like Zillow. So I'm looking for owner direct, typically through mainstream sites like Craigslist and Zillow. It doesn't cost anything to look. I put in the criteria I'm looking for, typically uh, a zip code, 
in a city, I'm looking for something five miles from the downtown core. So I'll pick a downtown zip code, do a search. Then I'll typically look for larger properties, which is, which is another one of um, my strategies. In the four bedroom plus category, five minutes from a downtown core, it will tell me very quickly how many for sale by owner properties there are. For example, Craigslist might have three or four, while Zillow might have five or six. You know, it's upwards of maybe 10 people in that case where I can just cut and paste the same message, uh, which is basically introducing myself and my, my model or how I acquire property. And, and then I just ask very directly, you know, is this something that might interest you? And it never ceases to amaze me how many people are open and receptive to, to working with me with the terms and conditions that, that, that I like to invest with. So what do those terms and conditions typically look like? So I guess it really depends. And first, I'd like to say that, you know, when, when we think about acquiring real estate, you know, as I mentioned earlier, people think down, down payment, bank mortgages, and so on. But I think what's important for, for people to understand is all it is is a transaction, right? So there are no rules on what we can and cannot do. There are certain parameters of what the bank requires from us. But when you're dealing with an owner directly, there are no rules. So it's whatever you know, a seller and a buyer can agree on. So I typically go into the situation and, and the, the type of properties that I buy primarily in the Midwest in the United States are in the, you know, 50 to $100,000 range, let's say. So I'm looking to, to find a seller who ideally has a vacant property. And I'm not saying I've only purchased vacant properties, but when I get into a tenant situation, because I do short term, I now need to have the tenant move out. That can take time. And for a number of reasons, I prefer to take the units vacant. So I'll tell a seller, I'll say, you know, you may have had a property on the market for $100,000. It's been on the market for seven months. You have no buyers. So I can give you a cash offer and I can give you a ter what's called a terms offer. So I may say to the seller, you know, I'll give you $60,000 cash or I'll give you your $100,000 cash, but I want my terms. And typically on a $100,000 property, that might be, zero down and balance of sale over 60 months. In which case I would take the $100,000 and divide it by 60 months and make equal installment payments. And in some cases that seller may, may agree to it or not. And, and at least that's a place to begin the negotiation. When you ask the right questions, you may find out that that seller has just moved or relocated and needs a certain amount of cash. And, and then we can negotiate from there. So maybe he wants some money down, Uh, and then balance the sale, maybe not over 60 months, but maybe we negotiate for 36 or 48. But typically, I really don't want to carry anything more than five years. Uh, and historically, I haven't really carried anything more than 48 months, which basically means I'm buying properties and I'm paying them off in four years or less. And then where do you get the money to pay the money back over that period of time? So when I acquired the property, one of the things that I request from the sellers that they give me about 90 days to renovate and stage the property. At first, when I started, I was kind of private about my intentions for the property. As I grow in this business and meet more people and do more deals, I, you know, I realize that there's a, an abundance of opportunity. So more than ever, I'm, I'm upfront about everything and fully transparent. And I'm looking for a seller who understands what I'm trying to do and supports it. At the end of the day, I want a seller who's kind of emotionally unattached from the property and just looking for a solution on how to get his cash out of it and move forward. 
So in, in that case, um, I would typically negotiate for like a 90 day gap from the day we sign to the day the first installment payment comes. I then go in and renovate the property, new kitchens, new bathrooms, uh, all the furniture, get it photographed, get it online. Effectively, I'm, I'm online usually within 30 days, worst case scenario, 45, which gives me some run up before the day the first payment is due. So then I can have you know those four to six weeks on Airbnb, build a bit of a bank, and then start with these large installment payments and run forward from there. Do you typically make enough on Airbnb to make those payments? Depending on you know a number of factors, but I'd say more than 80% of the time, uh, not only can we meet and exceed the, the debt service every month, but before the end of the term, we're also turning a profit. And then of course that you know, goes up exponentially after the term is up. But uh, typically within the first couple of years, I can recoup all of the money I've put down, including all of the money I've invested into the property for rehab. And then I have, you know, uh, profit as well as debt servicing for the remaining years of the land contract. And uh, at the end of the term, own the property free and clear and continue from there. It's been an incredibly successful model. So that means that within, let's say, three to five years, you essentially own the asset debt-free. Debt-free, correct. Which I find pretty incredible. It honestly is. And, and, and I mean, if anyone listening is interested, it, it's as simple as you know, going on to Google and Google land contract. In the United States, it's called a land contract or an owner finance. And there's a number of ways you can do it. A lot of the time, owners will request interest payments or large downs, you know, sometimes as much as 50%. And that's typically when an owner is going out to market and offering their property through a, an owner finance deal or, or a land contract, they'll inflate the price, they'll ask for a big down payment, and they'll, they'll ask for a, an interest rate. And, and that's fine, because that's an owner going out and offering options to the market. What I like to do is find the deal myself and educate a seller on this as an option. Perhaps it's a seller who's been carrying a vacant property for a year or two. It doesn't know what to do short of you know, deeply discounting the property. This is where I can explain to them, you know, have you heard of a land contract or owner finance? And, and basically what it is, is the seller agrees to certain terms and then we have a lawyer write it all up, right? It, it's an actual contract. The title is still held by the owner until the final payment is made, goes into, usually goes into escrow, into the uh, lawyer's hands in escrow, and then the payments are made. I typically agree that if there's any late payments, I'm in default and they take the property back, which I've never, ever had to deal with. Of course, you're never, I'm never late, but it gives them the peace of mind, gives the seller the peace of mind. And then some sellers might ask me for, for a larger down, and we negotiate from there. Many times sellers will ask me for an interest rate. And, and the way I explain to them is this. I said, listen, this is an investment strategy that I use. And I understand that in typical situations, a large down payment and interest may be suitable. But since I'm going to go in and renovate the property, I'm telling this, this seller, rather than giving you the money, I'm actually investing in the asset, which is still yours in title. Uh, I'm creating value or increasing the value. So I explained to them, I don't pay interest but I've got a proven track record and, and references if you like. And also if for any reason I default, you get the property back in much better condition, ultimately worth more money and easier to sell. And usually that's how I sort of shift from the conversation from their thought or request for interest or a larger down. Instead I explain to them that they have security and that typically gives them the peace of mind 
and we're able to agree to little or no interest and little or no money down. Right, because if you were to be late on one of your payments, then he would get the asset back, then it wouldn't transfer because it's still in the owner's title. But because you're investing some money in the renovation, then he's essentially just getting a better asset back. So that essentially eliminates almost the, the risk on the, on the property owner. Absolutely. Essentially what you're doing is you're leveraging your knowledge of short-term rentals and the confidence that you have in the fact that you're able to make enough on these properties to, to pay those, those payments. Absolutely. And, and one of the things, especially in the United States, what we've been finding is we, we do short-term and we do increasingly doing more corporate. And when I say corporate, you know, that typically means 30-day plus. Short-term, as we know it, is, is regarded by most you know, municipalities as 30 days and less. I think of corporate more as you know, the two-week plus. We see a lot of construction crews and tradesmen and, and for any number of reasons, people traveling for business who are coming to town and the towns we operate in. And we see that as becoming an increasing trend. The demand is higher and higher. So we work in a lot of B and C markets. This strategy, although I've seen people successfully use this strategy in you know, New York City and in California, I mean, land contract and owner finance works anywhere just based off the fact that really all it is is an agreement between a seller and a buyer to what terms you know, we want to agree to. Then we write up the contract and move forward. But when you get into secondary markets, for example, I have some property in a city just outside of Pittsburgh. It's about 40 minutes out of Pittsburgh. Population 30,000 and, and people, you know, I have a triplex there. And friends, family, and, and industry peers kind of laughed and said, you know, what are you doing in that town? And they're actually building a lot of infrastructure outside of Pittsburgh, closer to the airport, factories and whatnot. And the airport is between this town and Pittsburgh, which means two things. One, it's, it's got quite a central location for those flying in and out of Pittsburgh, but also for those working in and around the airport, it's easier to travel outside of the traffic area to my town than it is to go back into Pittsburgh. So this particular property, which was a phenomenal deal, beautiful turn of the century home that cost about $30,000. I invested $10,000 into it and it brings in over $30,000 a year. So that's a, that's a property that not only paid itself off, but recouped my investment in about 15 months and just continues to produce and continues to be book solid. And there's just so many opportunities like that. I mean, everywhere, we do it successfully in Canada, we're doing it successfully in the Dominican Republic, but in, in the Midwest, in the Northeast, in the United States, which is our markets, we've just had unbelievable success. That's incredible, man, that's incredible. Listen, like, well, can you tell us a little bit more about what type of properties you're, you're going for? Uh, you mentioned the kind of lower range, not in the, in the main markets, not in the big cities, but outside of the big cities. But also you're, you mentioned that you like to get properties with a lot of bedrooms. Like yeah. Why is that exactly? So there's a few things that I've learned over the years in this space and, and in business in general. And one of the most important things is, is being able to stand out and differentiate. And now more than ever in the short-term space, like on sites like Airbnb, the goal is to be found, right? If you're thinking of you know, a lot of the major markets that, that a lot of us work in, we're one of 100 arguably apples to apples comparable properties. Like if you're in a two bedroom condo market of downtown Chicago, 
I mean, there's what, 500 two bedroom condos. How do you stand out? And about five years ago, when I really shifted to do this full time, I, through a random coincidence, ended up acquiring a seven bedroom historic property uh, in the Midwest. And I said, you know, what am I going to do with this giant mansion? Well, here we are five years later, and it proves time and time again, pound for pound, it's the absolute best property I ever bought because it produces so well. And, and the reason is there's nothing even remotely close to its size in the city I operate. And I couldn't believe how many groups come to that city. Sports teams, sports fans, family reunions, and everything you can imagine. So that's where we started looking away from, you know, the one and two and three bedroom condos and small homes into more larger properties. And now typically, I'm not looking for anything less than four bedroom. And even with the four bedroom or five bedroom or six, we're looking for an opportunity to create more space. So for example, if I were to acquire a five bedroom home and it's got a large living room and large dining room, we'll typically convert that living room or dining room into the sixth bedroom. We want to make sure that there's you know, somewhat of a lounge area, maybe a sitting area, but more often than not, that's sort of the dining area. A nice clean kitchen. And then rather than have the big living room, we put smart TVs in all the bedrooms. Since most of the people coming to stay at the property are either there for a weekend or really short term, they're not really using the common space that, that much. It's more of a place to crash. And if it's a, a corporate client, as I said, we're hosting more of, these are guys traveling, men and women, uh, traveling and working together, and, and they like to be able to retreat back to their own space and watch TV in the comforts of their own room. Typically, if staying in a group setting, have spent the whole day with these other people that they now share the home with. So uh, it's been successful for that reason as well. Awesome, man. Love it. Tell us a little bit more about the Dominican Republic. That's, that's <laughs> a market that I'm sure it functions a little bit differently than the US and Canada. It does. And, and I think every market's different. Even in the U.S. and Canada, you know, city to city, things are different. And I think you need to understand your market, who's coming to your market. And, and much like our realization that, that larger homes for groups is a way less competitive space and allows us to make a much better yield, I think you need to know your market and, and not assume anything. So you need to challenge the market. So that leads me to, you know, sort of our position in the Dominican Republic and the reason we bought this multi-unit property and converted it to a boutique hotel. And, and this practice also works really well in the United States and Canada. And it's, it's called clustering, or at least that's what we call it. And what we found is, you know, in Punta Cana Bavaro, where we are, there's a lot of one and two bedroom condos. And that's great. However, it's extremely competitive, as you can imagine. So... We bought a building and we listed it a number of different ways. We call them clusters where when you search on Airbnb for, for example, Sleeps 16, in our area, there's nothing. You know, if you sleep, search Sleeps 5, 6, yeah, there's 400 listings. But if you, you search Sleeps 16 or 12 or 14 or 16, there's little or nothing. So we created some listings where it's, you know, three neighboring condos. And... We've been wildly successful with this model. And what we realized is people are looking for solutions for their family vacation or a group of friends, and they're not finding it. So then they're going in and they're trying to find condos close to one another. 
So we just created a, a way of, of marketing and, and getting out in front of that audience by creating cluster listings. Granted, when they click on the listing, it's not one big property. We explained very clearly it's three neighboring units. In, in many cases, they're just as happy, if not happier, because it's like, wow, great. We can all be neighbors, but have our own space. And we take, you know, a floor of this multi-unit building. And it's worked extremely well for us in a market that, that is very seasonal and in some ways very saturated. But we come to it with a really positive attitude and, and creative thinking. And if you do that, I think we beat the market average time and time again. Just let's go back a bit. So you have a, a boutique hotel that has nine apartments. Yep. So you create nine individual listings, but then you also create separate listings of like two apartments, three apartments, four apartments. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So it helps if I can explain the structure of the building, right? So it's a nine unit building, three units per floor, right? So each floor is, is three units. So what we do, we have, we have a few different layered strategies and it's important, I think, to understand them. So for one, we list the building in its entirety, which you know, is really geared towards destination weddings and large groups. It's a cost-effective alternative to staying at an all-inclusive hotel. We're two blocks from the beach, one block from all the best nightlife, and that works well. Then what we do is we list floor by floor. So we'll have a listing of three units clustered. And what we do with that is, is that's online and available for booking a year in advance, let's say. You know, at any point, you can book the entire building or an entire floor. Now, when we get about 60 days out from the check-in date, if that floor has not been booked, and usually it does, but in the event that it has not, we then open up some additional inventory. And 60 days out, we open a cluster of two, meaning you can now rent two of the units. So simultaneously on the platform, you can now find three units or two units. Now, if the two-unit books, it blocks off the three. If the three-unit books, it blocks off the two. If neither book, 30 days before the check-in date, we open three singles and go from there. If, if one books, well, then we cancel out the three and we keep two singles and a two available. And if the three books, then it blocks out all the threes and the twos. So it's like an if this, then that scenario. But we're, again, wildly successful using this strategy. We feel that it's in our best interest to book it, you know, all three at once, which is why it's a year out. There's a lot of demand and not only for... for for a demand, we get a premium. And then 60 days out, we'll move to the two, and then 30 days out, we'll move to the singles. Now, the also important thing that I think is a lot of value for your audience is let's, to use a round number, let's say a condo is $100 a night. That doesn't mean that the three units clustered is $300 a night. What we found is the three units clusters is actually $600 a night because there's no other options in the area. So market supply and demand for that unique configuration drives the value up significantly. So again, a single unit as an individual unit might be worth 100 a night, but the three of them together is worth six. Much like the two of them together isn't actually worth two, it might be worth 350. So, yeah. Why don't people just book multiple single units then? Which is a valid point but we don't offer single units because we want to be the best option. The same way in the U.S. when we, we do these larger homes, and in Canada we're doing the same thing, except in Canada that's, that's a whole other conversation of how we do more master leasing than acquisition there. But the reason they, they don't book singles is because the singles aren't available. They can go on a site like Airbnb or booking.com or whatever and look, 
but they're going to find single units in different developments. And they may dig through that and find, you know, a couple, two or three singles in a particular development offered by two or three different hosts, which they're welcome to book individually. But what, what we're finding the trend is, is they'll find us, they like dealing with one person and more so they'll actually find and be aware of this opportunity because we've created the listing. So they'll actually find us when they search for their 16. We're the first thing they find. They don't know our market. Most people are coming here. Most people when they travel haven't been to the destination they're going to. And even if they have, they're not overly familiar with the market. So when they search and they find this cluster, and we explain it's three neighboring units, it's interesting to them. Not only is it the same complex, they're literally next door to one another. And that, that's a particular value. So they pay a premium for it. And there's also less options, so they pay a premium for it. And they find it because it's available. As we get closer to the date, we start opening up the other inventory and discounting accordingly. So we're always running 100% occupancy regardless. But it's really the marketing, the front end, and how we can command a premium and, and, and ultimately service the market by giving them what they want. People are looking for these type of configurations in this type of space, and they're not finding it. And how do you make sure that you never get any double bookings? Well, that's from our PMS. So our, our management software allows us to create through our iCals, right? It, it plays an if this, then that scenario. So it's constantly cross-referencing, you know, the other iCals. The same way it works if you're running multi-platform. So, you know, if a double books, it triggers, a, you know, a message to the triple and the subsequent singles and blocks them out as well. Awesome, dude. Really, really interesting uh, what you're doing. I think you're, uh, I love how creative you are. I love your mentality of when you hit a, an obstacle, it doesn't stop you. You just ask yourself the question, how do I get around it? How do I use my credit creativity to make happen what I want to make happen? That's really great. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience? No, only that, you know, STR Legends, which is where we finally got to meet. You know, I've, I've been following the podcast for a long time, many years now. But I, I think, and we talked about this last week, Jasper, the event in Puerto Rico was, I can't explain, it's the best, best thing I've ever done in this industry as far as networking and what, whatnot. And, and we were talking how, how this industry, and I'm sure your audience understands this well, you know, this industry is often very isolated. We work independently. We work with our properties and our guests and so forth, but we don't often get to meet our peers. And STR Legends Live or STR Live was for me just an amazing, amazing event because it was just a room full of peers, you know, industry peers dealing with the same problems, you know, sharing, you know, in our success and failures together. I haven't done anything in, in all my years in this space where I walked up with so much value knowledge and new friends who understood my day to day. So I guess, you know, if there's one thing I'd like to add is that, you know, anybody listening to this should really look into the next upcoming event. I think you mentioned it's this fall because, you know, it was a priceless experience for me. It was, it was a phenomenal time and I'm, I'm extremely grateful to you and Eric for having invited me in the first place. And I certainly look forward to the, uh, the next event. And it was only a 45 minute flight for you <laughs> to Puerto Rico. It was, it was supposed to be 45 minutes, but JetBlue had me stuck at the airport for almost two days. It was comical because I think I had the least distance to travel, but in the end, it took me more time than, than everybody else in attendance. But it just made for good conversation when I finally did show up. Well, I'm glad you showed up, man. It, it was a blast, and thank you for, uh, for hosting me in the Dominican Republic. I've, I've never been there before. It was really, really great. 
uh, really great place. And um, we are, me and Eric actually spoke today, we are uh, figuring out where we're going to have our next event. And uh, now that we had the first one, uh, we had some feedback, uh, we're going to make sure that the next one is even better. But yeah, a blast as well. Thank you for thank you so much for participating. Thank you for coming on the show, Mr. Scott Glass from Canada. So Scott, thank you very much, and to the listeners, of course, thank you for listening. And by the way, I'm doing these podcast episodes on Thursday now. Well, I'm recording them on on Monday or earlier, but they're going to be published on Thursday from now on, and that just has to do with my podcast production company. They need free business days. And so it just makes more sense for me to um, to publish them on Thursday because then I can submit them on Monday. If I do Wednesday, then I have to submit them on Friday. So it gives me a couple extra days and that helps me to keep the podcast more timely. And with that, uh, we've come to the end of this episode. So thank you for listening and until the next one. Get paid for your pet. 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 Get paid for your pet.